If you've been putting off getting health insurance, now's the time to act. Open enrollment ends December 15th. So visit getcovered.nj.gov now. You'll find affordable health plans and even learn whether you're eligible to receive financial assistance. New Jersey is committed to making sure everyone has access to affordable health care. Visit getcovered.nj.gov today. And remember, you only have until December 15th to enroll. Blog Talk Radio. Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the Guys Guys Radio podcast. We have done over 330 podcasts now, and I'm very excited. We have a great guest today, Jane Duncan Rogers. She's going to talk to us about this very special and important book she wrote called Before I Go, The Essential Guide to Creating a Good End-of-Life Plan. And I know that's not the happiest subject for a lot of people, but it's one of those things where, you know what, we're all going to die. And it's good to plan, uh, have your plans and uh, affairs in order when you do pass, because otherwise you can create a lot of uh, chaos, mayhem for people who are left behind. Uh, My dad passed this February, and uh, to his credit, he was an organized guy. He had everything mapped out perfectly. My brother was the executor, but my dad had money put aside for his funeral. He knew exactly what he wanted to wear. He had his will updated. He had a list of where all of his accounts were and uh, the execution, if you will, of the logistics was seamless because of that. And it, uh, it saved people a lot of uh, time and heartache and agita and uh, arguing about things because he pretty much laid out what, what he wanted. And I commend him for that. Uh, that was a very giving thing that he did. Um, so it's something to keep in mind, though, because so many people, I think 60% of people, they don't even have a will, which is crazy. And you can download a will from the Internet, though it's much better to just go to your attorney and pay, uh, hey, though, you know, it's probably an hour or two to get the whole thing done. And then it's clean. I just sent my wife a, a list of here's all my accounts, here's all my passwords, here's all my uh here's where everything is and uh, a copy of the will and here's where the safety deposit box and all of that to make it easy in case anything happens. Cause otherwise, you know, if you don't have a will, of course the, your, your belongings supposedly go to the spouse, but I want to ask Jane about this. That could be here in America. That could be a hassle because if you don't have any paperwork with it, um, it could slow things up and just create more busy work. That's, and that's unnecessary. So we're going to get into that in a few minutes. This is Guys Guys Radio, the place where where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. We bring we bring ideas. We bring people forward on the show uh, for seekers. I believe that so many people nowadays are seeking. They're seeking uh, spirituality. They're seeking more than what's kind of rubbed in our faces every day by the media. They're seeking more than what they get out of their jobs and their paycheck yet a lot of people don't have time for more but they're interested so what we try to do here at guys guys radio is bring a lot of oppor- a lot of um a lot of different opportunities a lot of alternatives a lot of options to people to say hey that's something i'd like to pursue uh whether it's on a spiritual path a wellness path just learning about how things work a path or even an, an entertainment you know, it's interesting and ironic. This whole thing started with my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, which you can pick up on Amazon, any of the retailers, and it's still in some bookstores. You can get the physical copy or, a, or an e-copy, and it's been called The Man's Successor to Sex in the City. And it's a rom-com. It's a romp. It's about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. But um, beneath the surface there, there is an aspect of spirituality in the book. I actually put a Reiki master as one of the characters in there and wanted the book to help introduce Reiki to the, to the masses. And from there, I started my website and started blogging about um, relationships and then about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's interesting because the main character in my book 
he writes a column about men for women called the guys, guys, guy to love. And so uh, life started to in, in, uh, imitate art when I started blogging and it picked up and I've gotten my blog syndicated and you can find it uh, on Cupid's Pulse. Uh, I've been on HuffPo, uh, Good Men Project, uh, kind of uh, go, go dates uh, all, all, all over the place. And uh, from there, I started blogging about other things besides relationships and uh, things kind of took off. Uh, we started Guys Guys Radio a few years ago. And uh, as like with everything else with the brand, we started talking to relationship experts who were fantastic. And uh, it's interesting that the issues that I address in my novel, uh, this chasm in communication between men and women, um, it's still there. It's probably wider than ever. And at least now with the Me Too movement, uh, uh, men uh, are being very clearly told, you have to take a step back, guys, and listen now because women have not been treated fairly. And I think that's happening to a certain extent. Uh, also, women are on a kind of a very uh, straight trajectory towards uh, receiving long overdue recognition for all the things they do. And uh, guys, on the other hand, um, are in a little bit of a uh, crossroads where they're not sure who they are. But it's interesting because if you're a good guy, if you're a good man, you have integrity, you have authenticity, you're a guy's guy. You have casual confidence, unassuming strength, seductive integrity, emotional intelligence, timeless style, and you like to have a good time. If you're all of that and you can navigate the world based on those values, then this is a time where it's great to be a man. And in fact, it's never been a better time to be a man because this is a time where men can be whoever they want to be, yet also, at the same time, it's a time where it's never been less clear who men really are. But that's what our brand's all about, just bringing truth out there to people for consideration. We're not going to agree on everything. You might reject some of the guests I bring out. You might agree with a lot of them. You want, might, might want to learn more, whether it's spirituality, metaphysical learning, wellness, diet, fantasy football predictions, entertainment, what relationships, marriage advice, whatever, but we're bringing information out here. And today we're going to have a great guest and he's going to talk about a very non-fun topic, but something that's important that we should all know about. And she has a great resource. Jane Duncan Rogers has this great resource of uh, a book where you can, it's a go-to. Uh, and I don't think there's any other book like this before I go, the essential guide to creating a good end of life plan. So we're going to bring her on in a few moments. Let me just talk briefly about kind of what's going on. We're in the holiday season here in New York city and they just lit up the tree recently. And uh, so it's, it's festive. You know, all, it's interesting that all those Cyber Monday and Black Friday, all those sales now, they just keep continuing. <laughs> extended, extended, extended. And uh, I've said this before. I think these sales are going to go right through the end of the year. So if you're, you know, if you're a consumer, which most Americans are, this is, there's never been a better time to buy because everything's going to be on sale through the holidays. And that means after Christmas also, because after Christmas, then it's like, got to get rid of the stuff. So they keep the sales going. So if you need stuff and you want to get good gifts for people and the economy has been pretty good in the States uh, this past couple of years, uh, this is the time to, you know, this is the time you might want to invest in some nice gifts for people. So anyhow, what else is happening? You know, I was reading this article where uh, here in New York city, it's a, it's, it's a financial hub of America and therefore, the financial hub of the world in many ways, along with some of the other great cities, uh, you know, London and Paris and uh, Los Angeles and Chicago and Hong Kong and Tokyo and uh, et cetera. But uh, it's, it's an infrastructure nightmare here in America. We're in, particularly in New York, our airports are atrocious. There's billions that are being invested now to upgrade the airports. Um, the subway system, they should have replaced the signals decades ago. And uh, now it looks like another fare hike and less service on top of another fare hike and less service on top of another fare hike and less service. So we have that problem. And then you have the infrastructure that more importantly, you have this tunnel uh, this tube that goes between New York and New Jersey. And it was built a hundred years ago. And I think there's two tunnels in the tube maybe. And uh, it's, it's dilapidated and it's, it's precarious. And there was money put aside for it. And governor Chris Christie, Christie at the time, New Jersey, he stopped the project while it was happening. So it came to a gr grinding halt. Now we have Trump president he's a New Yorker. 
he knows that there's a problem with this because so many people come in from New Jersey and go out of the city uh, from the tunnels that it's incredibly critical for commerce and for people getting in and out of their jobs. Yet it's nothing is happening. So they had a meeting the other day and uh, I just pulled out the paper because this is, this is, this is why things don't get fixed here. Here's a a description of the meeting by uh, governor Cuomo of New York was all positive. It was all good. The tunnels themselves are inarguably in a state of decay and decline that is troubling and frightening. They're 100 years old. Now, here's the result of the meeting. We are nowhere right now. There is no clock ticking because there is no clock, so we are nowhere. The question is, how would we start a clock and start a process? Trump could push push the button and fund this thing, but uh, like Obama was funding it, and uh, of course, New New York and New Jersey both kick in there, but he hasn't. He actually pushed... Congress not to fund the project. Then Cuomo got uh, Trump's attention by sending along images of the dilapidated tunnel conditions. And so at least they had a meeting, a recent meeting on that, but there's no plan. Now, if the tunnel even gets construction, they get financing, it could take seven, eight or nine years under a generous timetable. And that would be very, very fast. Now, knowing how projects of this type work in New York, that means it could be 15 years and the cost could triple uh, what, you know, what the estimates are. So this is, a, this is not a good situation for, uh, for the metropolitan area. And we find money to spend on you know, border security or war in Afghanistan and, so, and upping the military budget 600, uh, by $60 billion, I think. I think it's up to $700 billion is our military budget for the year, which is way more than China and Russia combined. It's like four times bigger than that. And, uh, and our Air Force, the second biggest Air Force in the world is the U.S. Navy's Air Force. So we have so much more weapons than everybody, but we're so extended with different wars that we don't take care of our infrastructure. If you travel around the world, you'll see that other airports and forms of mass transportation are so much better. And people in America are like, well, look at our gas prices are low. Yeah, but we have these big gas guzzling vehicles in Europe. You know, they pay more for, for, per gallon, but you don't have to drive as far. The cars are smaller. They're more fuel efficient. And uh, here you have to drive long distances and everybody has these big V8s and these big pickup trucks and half the people who have pickup trucks don't need them. So America has got to get exact together and now's the time to do it. So let's see what happens. Anyhow, let's take a quick break and then we'll bring our special guest out, Jane Duncan Rogers. And we're going to talk about uh, end of life planning. You're listening to the guys, guys radio. All right, we're back. Welcome back to guys, guys radio. As I mentioned, our special guest Jane Duncan Rogers, we're going to bring her out now. Her book is called Before I Die, An Essential Guide to Creating a Good End-of-Life Plan. And as I said in my opening comments, it's so important to do this. This is something that people don't want to think about or they keep kicking the can down the road, like with the tunnel between New York and New Jersey. But eventually, you're going to have to pay the freight on that. So better to plan ahead of time and just get it done. And then you don't have to think about it. But you should, you should also, would you want to pass and then nobody knows what to do with you? You want to be cremated? Do you want a Christian burial and funeral? Do you want to wear a suit? Do you want to wear your New York Jets jersey? I actually went to a guy's, a friend of mine from high school, he passed and uh, he was dressed, I think he might have had a, I don't know if he had a Jets jersey on, but his coffin was surrounded by cases of Budweiser beer footballs and New York jet memorabilia. <laughs> he was a big Jets fan. He was a great guy. And uh, so whatever you want, but nobody's going to know unless you do it now. So let me tell you a little bit about Jane. We'll bring her out because she's calling in from Scotland. I thank her for the call and also for hanging on the phone while I, while I speak here to you guys. All right. Award-winning coach and author, Jane Duncan Rogers. She was devastated when her husband died of cancer in 2011 but she didn't know, little did she know at the time, that she'd become the founding director of Before I Go Solutions, a nonprofit that helps people and especially carers to make good end-of-life plans based on questions she had asked her husband before he died. Uh, He had a uh, kind of surprise prognosis of stomach cancer, I believe, and so they had some time to plan. In August 2018, this is her second book, Before I Go, The Essential Guide to Creating a Good End-of-Life Plan, was published 
She also runs the Before I Go Training Academy, which offers opportunities for people to train in the BIG method to bring end-of-life planning to their local communities. She lives in the north of Scotland, which is a gorgeous country. I've been there. I've been to the Highlands. Uh, I've been to Glasgow and Edinburgh. What a great place and what great people. And she has a new partner now with whom she's not only building a new life, but building a new house. I hope it's not near a Trump golf course, though. Bring her on. Jane Duncan Rogers, welcome to Guys, Guys Radio. Hello, Jane. How are you? Hi, Robert. Yeah, um, it is lovely up here, and it, I, I am very glad to say that I'm not near to the golf course. Not that one, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I remember being in Scotland. I was working in advertising. We were going to pitch the Doers Scotch account, and we drove. Uh-huh. Uh, we went to Edinburgh, and then we went to Glasgow, and we drove up to the Highlands to where the Doers uh, Distillery was. We learned all about yeah. how the product was made. And uh, what, what was so fascinating to me was how beautiful, beautiful the countryside was. The highlands were gorgeous, how nice the people yeah. were. And that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't see any Scotsmen drinking scotch. <laughs> they were drinking well, beer and they were drinking Bacardi breezers were big in the bars. I couldn't believe it. I didn't see anybody drinking, you know, scotches and they didn't like single malts, which is how, you know, that's a big deal in the U S Everybody there was saying, yeah. no, blends are better. And that's true because it's like making a fine blended wine. Well, I'm not an expert in whiskey, but I do know quite a few people here who drink it. So, um, so they probably, you just probably weren't seeing them that day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's get into uh, your story in your book. I mean, it's a fascinating story, and you're doing a real service because so many people uh, avoid, you know, they're afraid of death and they avoid it. And even as you mentioned in your book, when people get sick, and I've seen it, I've seen a friend get sick and then pass, and uh, half of the friends that we had collectively just kind of disappeared. And I know they disappeared because they were uncomfortable, and that's what happens. And I went through a – I had my own uh, health scare about four years ago. I had two robotic surgeries, one on each kidney. I didn't hear anything from my friends, and I think it's just because they figured, oh, you know, they don't want to deal with it. It could be bad news down the road. It's like they think they're going to catch something from you. You can't yeah. catch a tumor, but that's how it is. Is that has that been your experience, Jane? Yeah, yeah, and it's because people are uncomfortable with it, and they don't know what to say. They don't know how to behave. They get they feel awkward, and so and the result of that is that they tend to distance themselves. I mean, this is a generalization. Not everybody's like this, obviously, but it is of very course. common. Um, and um, and so part of my mission is to um, make people or help enable people to become much more comfortable with talking about a topic that is, as you said, going to happen to us all. It's completely mad that we have our heads in the sand about this when, when it's, you know, it's the one certain thing in a life of a great deal of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So uh, why should people be doing this now, even if they're in their you know, prime? What's the importance of getting started way in advance? It's, it's, not, it's not an admission that like, oh, I'm it, it, you know, you don't have to admit you're mortal. You are. So kind of getting on with it if you're in your 40s or whatever, it's not a bad idea, correct? It's, it's definitely a good idea. Uh, it's very often the case that people won't even really start thinking about it, maybe until their 40s or 50s, and that's okay. You know, ideally, everybody over 18 would take care of this. But the fact is, when we're 18 or even in our 20s or sometimes a bit older, we, we think we are immortal. We can't imagine the end of life. But, you know, you get to the sort of middle age stage and you realize that actually you've probably got a bit less to go than you've already lived. Then it really is a good time to be thinking about it. And um, and particularly now, because we have an aging population in the Western world. We, it's the baby yes. generation. There's a lot mm-hmm. more of us. We are also living longer, but not necessarily as healthy as we were. That's a great that point. Exactly. It means that there are less people, younger people than us, to look after us. Therefore, Mm -hmm. it's really important that we do what we can to keep ourselves healthy for as long as we possibly can. Now, that's not my area of expertise, but part of that keeping healthy, if you like, is being clear that, yes, you are going to die one day. It's just going to happen. And by facing up to it now in the practical way of looking at your end-of-life plans, like your dad did, he was a great example, then, um, then you are not only taking the pressure off your family afterwards, 
but you are creating space for yourself now because you don't have to think about it anymore once it's done you know you, mm-hmm. you, you it's done and dusted all you have to do then is just review it from time to time that's a great point so how uh, let's get practical how what's the first couple of steps that people need to get started because a lot of times it's that the first step is the toughest one yeah, that's true. And I, well, most people know about wills and funerals. There are several other components to a, a good end-of-life plan in the way that I teach it. But um, as you said at the beginning, quite a lot of people, quite a high percentage, still don't have a will. And many people will say, well, I don't have enough things to worry about a will, or mm-hmm, I'm not right. going to be around for later. Um, so let me address those two things, because people often say that. Even if you think you don't have very many things or stuff or money or anything, it really helps the process if you have stated that you want all your whatever stuff it is that you have to go to a particular person. That's all that a will is. Um, It's better to have something written down and signed and witnessed than it is to have nothing at all. And like you said, you can in some states and some countries download a free template from the uh, Internet That's definitely worth checking out for your locality. Um, But if you have anything that is, that you have any kind of um, value in your assets or you have any kind of blended family or children that are not living with you or anything like that, it, 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 it is worth it going to a lawyer. It really is. Because the trouble is we don't know what we don't know. And the people who will find that out are your family, your children, your friends, after you've gone. And that can be very costly in both time and money. So I would encourage people to take, get the will done, if nothing else. Having said that, that's probably the most difficult thing to do. Um, So there's other places where you can start. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I still would encourage the will, first of all. Okay. um, How come... uh you know, I, I found it interesting that men um, aren't that great at doing this. Um, it's interesting in my case, I've done everything and I've been pushing my wife to do the same and I'm getting kind of nowhere. Um, and I don't know why, but what is it about some people just don't want to do it and some people do? And you mentioned that men a lot of times are the laggards here. Well, I mention it because most of the people that I've worked with um, on our courses or, or people who are... Um, on the website, uh, in the website community, are are women. So that's what I'm led to believe. Having said that, there are plenty of people, men and women, who don't want to look at it. And um, I think it is, there's, it, it's quite difficult to find the reasons because people don't want to even talk about it. But clearly there is a fear. There is a fear of, a, it's almost like, if I face up to it, then it's going to happen to me. Or if I face up to this, then it will make it happen quicker. Um, all of which is uh, superstitious, and um, actually it doesn't work like that. Um, but I think another major reason is that we're unfamiliar. In the last uh, century or so, uh, death has been taken out of the home by uh, hospitals and by the funeral industry, all of which is good in many respects because the hospital you know, we get treated in the hospitals and the, um, the, we want to have funerals. We have to deal with uh, dead bodies in, a, in whatever way is required in our, in our country. Um, but the, the disadvantage of that is that the ordinary member of the family has become like an amateur in this area. They don't know what to do. And, you know, when we don't know about something, we tend to be a bit uh, nervous or apprehensive. So lots of people... Um, even maybe by the age of 50 or so, won't have seen a dead body, won't have had that experience, whereas not so long ago, maybe 40 years or so ago, that wouldn't have been the case because your grandma or your grandpa would have died at home probably, would have been laid out in the front parlour and the neighbours would have come and paid their respects and it was normal. But we don't have that anymore, so we don't have that sense of familiarity Um, and I think that is a major part because once people start to explore this, either with me or use, or reading the book or in any of the other ways, once they start talking about it, it, become, it becomes less scary because they're beginning to get information. 
and that really mm-hmm. helps. That can help take a step forward. Now, like anything else, when you're taking steps, there's always obstacles that you have to either go up, around, or through. What are some of the obstacles that people are going to encounter along their way getting their kind of of end-of-life plan set up? Yes, well, um, putting it off, procrastination. I can tell you right now, this subject is never, ever going to get to the top of the priority list. Never. It's just not going to happen. Exactly. (laughs) Even those who have... A terminal illness, it does not necessarily get to the top then. I mean, that's hard to believe, but it's true. Um, I think lack of time is one of the main reasons that people give as to why they can't uh, move forward with this kind of stuff. But the fact is, we're just not telling the truth there. Because, you know, we can make time for whatever we feel is really, really important. It's just not taking it seriously enough or not understanding that actually we are immortal, like you said earlier. We, we, you know, we're not going to live forever. And, you know, I was a bit like this. I was like this before my husband died. I was um, 54 when he died. And up until that point, I hadn't thought much about this. I was just like everybody else. I think I had a will mm-hmm. and that was about it. And, um, but suddenly I'm propelled into this, uh, arena where I am having to come face to face with the fact that, well, he died, therefore I could too. It could happen to me. And of course, it will happen to me. And that really propelled me into making sure that I was enjoying life as much as I possibly could in every possible moment because because I could die any moment. Now, that's a yeah. great perspective. So tell us uh, from a personal standpoint, if you don't mind, uh, why don't you share a little bit? Because it's interesting that you went through a process that so many people go through, yet you made it into now a uh, kind of a, a mission for yourself to educate people. And I think it's a tremendous service, and I really commend you on that, Jane. Um, but what sparked you to say, this is something that I, I, need to be, I need to be in the forefront on this and really help people? I mean, you set up this foundation. You teach people about it. I mean, it's beyond writing the book about your experiences. This is a how-to plan, and you've really taken charge here. So could you tell us a little bit about the background and kind of what flipped the switch for you and said and told, that you told yourself, I, I'm going to do this for others? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> it certainly wasn't part of any plan that I had, but um, – Basically, I always, I had been a blogger, I had been working as a coach um, when Philip died, and so I always knew that part of my healing process would be writing about it in one way or another. I didn't know how that would be, but about two and a half years after he died, I literally woke up one morning, like people say, I did wake up one morning and I just knew that this was the time to start writing, and my first book, Gifted by Grief, was published in 2015, and that was really the memoir of our time in the last year of his death and how I coped afterwards. Um, And I thought I had, I I did have quite an amazing spiritual journey in in that year or two after he died that I had written about. And I thought that would be what people would like to read about. But actually, I got a lot of feedback from readers saying, well, referring to the chapter that I had written about the questions that I'd asked him before he died, and they were really practical things like, how do you want your body to be dressed? What sort of coffin do you want? Um, are there any precious things that you have that you wouldn't put in the will, but that you'd want other people to have? Um, and other practical things like, uh, how, what should I do about the car when it needs to be serviced and things like that? Because, you know, I didn't know about the car. That was his area. Anyway, um, I got several readers letting me know that they needed to answer these questions too. And so I did a bit more research. I put on a local seminar here, and um, it was very popular. And one thing led to another, and I began to realize that actually this was a really important issue. And so I founded Before I Go Solutions and um, as a nonprofit to help people do this, because by this time I discovered that Despite good intentions and people saying this is a good idea and they wanted to answer the questions, it was not quite so easy just to sit down and do it. So although, for example, in the book, if you read that book and you answer all the questions in it and you get inspired and you take action, you'll have a good end-of-life plan. There's no doubt about it. But I know from my experience, and this is why we run courses, 
that it's much easier to do when you're talking with somebody else. Um, it doesn't have to be on the course, of course. It could be with um, a friend. But people need help to think about this sort of stuff. They need help to think about the kind of uh, decisions that you might have to make as to, for example, what kind of treatment you might want towards the end of your life. That's a very important one for those That's of us right. who are going to be living long with most mm-hmm. of us. Those are not easy questions to answer. So they have to be now, thought about before you mm-hmm. actually make an answer. What, um, how much of this information, um, well, a lot of people have kids, how much of this should uh, the kids know about? Well, how do you kind of manage that information? Because you, you don't want to get them all morbid, but also you want to have them informed. How do you manage that process of keeping the kids in the loop, or should it just be between the, spouse, the spouses? Well, I personally think that it's much better to have the family involved, um, all, all the siblings, um, if possible. Not everybody wants to talk about it. Um, if it can be anything from uh, letting your children know that you've taken care of this and this is where all the information is, if you've got it all written down in one place. Um, but often they will want to be involved in the decision-making because, you know, when you think about your kids, you don't want to be giving them anything that is going to be too difficult for them or something that they personally would find very hard to do. Because one right. of the things I've discovered since my husband died, but also since my parents died, which was just a few months ago there now, after somebody has died, on the whole, you really want to be able to give them what they said they wanted. And that's why it's so important that you let people know beforehand, because if you, can't, if you don't know what they wanted, you can't give it to them. And actually, no. when you're grieving, to be able to carry that out is really um, a great comfort to those left behind. You know, so that's such a great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just saying, the more that people can talk about this beforehand, as a concept, you know, because it's not going to happen imminently, we hope, but as a concept and put down the practicalities in writing, the better. You know, uh, along those lines, just a quick anecdote, um, because things very easily can go awry. And um, uh, one of my best friends, he he passed a few years ago of uh, prostate cancer. And he was a young guy, about 53 years old, and he had a two-year-old son and and a younger wife. And I I know them, and it was very sad. But he said he wanted a Buddhist, uh, you know, he didn't want the whole Christian funeral and all of that. But there was kind of a pissing match going on between his wife and his mother, they didn't get along. And uh, then he passed and uh, the acrimony was still there. And uh, in the funeral, uh, I showed up for it. It was a Christian funeral. And the other thing that was so to me, uh, Mike, this is not what he, I'm thinking to myself, this isn't what he wanted. Of course, I'm not going to say anything. And I'm sitting there and in the back. And then one of my, one of his close friends, who was one of my close friends who never went to see him when he was sick, Never. In fact, I called him the last week. I said, listen, if you're going to see, you, you, if you want to see him, this is the week to do it. This was after, you know, we all knew for about a year that he was, he was going down. And, uh, and then I guess they connected at the, at the end, but there he is up in front of the church, you know, eulogizing him. And I'm sitting in the back, just kind of shaking my head. like, this is all so dysfunctional this uh, but i guess that's just what can happen so i think yeah. you're what you're you're proposing you're planning to get that thing get it right get it in writing ahead of time will minimize the opportunities for things to kind of go wacky because with all the emotion it sounds like with all the emotion going on uh, uh, people's behavior can really uh you know impact what happens and it may not be within line with your wishes of the departed because they're gone. And now it's, you're dealing with emotions. And uh, when you're dealing with these type of emotions, uh, things can go off the rails very quickly. Is that, has that been your experience, Jane? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I don't think that unless you have had somebody very close to you uh, die, you don't realize the impact that grief can have because it's, it is incredibly debilitating, makes decisions really hard to do, um, because you're having to deal with something that it's the last thing that you want to deal with, which, you know, is your loved one isn't there anymore. 
Um, and it's really easy to underestimate how, um, what a big impact that has. So it's a very selfless thing to do, which is like what your uh, dad did, to plan for this in advance. Yes. It's a very selfless thing. Because you're not going to be, you're, if, if you're the one who's died, you're not going to be around to hear people's gratitude or to feel their, their gratitude. So, and that's what a lot of people say. They say to me, yeah, but I'm not going to be around, so I don't care what I want. You know, it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you like. Well, that's fine, but it's not helpful to those that are going to have to deal with the remains of your life. It isn't helpful at all. So the more that you can put your ego to one side and get your thoughts together and get them down in writing, I mean, better to talk about it than not at all, but even better to have it down in writing so it can't be disputed because it's amazing how many people say to me or, or tell me the stories of siblings arguing um, right. or friends arguing because it wasn't clear what the person wanted. And even in the best of families where you can't imagine that happening, it does happen, sadly. You know, the another quick anecdote about that. Um, my... Uh, I'm not super close to my uh, to my brother, and um, when my dad passed, he had wanted to have a closed closed coffin, and he wanted a nice picture of himself. And it's certainly his right. So we got to the funeral home the f- first morning, and the, the 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 casket was open, and the 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 uh, ceremony hadn't begun yet for the uh, uh, the viewing. Or, uh, and uh, so my son, who's was four at the time he walked over to the casket and like oh there's pop-pop and i walked into the room with him and went over and took a look at my dad and my brother who was the executor was livid like get out of there you can't be in there this is not what all this stuff and i just waved him off i'm like you know what he was my dad too so just chill i want to take a look here because the plan was that everybody would see him who was close after all the ceremonies, then they'd open up the casket and then you take a look in. But just a thing like that could set this thing completely off where people make mistakes too. And then with the emotions there, then you get into, uh, you have problems between uh, family members because the tensions are running high and the emotions are running high. So you really need to be very clear. Uh, and that includes you know, what clothes you want to have. Or, you know, some of the, what are some of the last wishes that people have in terms of you know, things like what uh, clothes they want to have and things like that, the open and closed casket, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, really specific things. The more specific you can be, the better in a way. And um, so it could be, uh, for example, my mom and dad uh, the, uh, last year had completed their plans, both of them, and they had met with the undertaker they had chosen. You don't have to have an undertaker or a funeral director, and I go into that in the book, but if you don't, if you don't, if you choose not to have one, there's a whole lot of other things that you need to know about. But um, if you do have one, then um, it is a good idea to shop around. Now, you're not, those, those coming after you are not going to shop around for a funeral director. In fact, right. statistics here in the UK show that only 6% of people shop around for a funeral director. If you're interested in keeping costs at least reasonable, then it's really a good idea for uh, to do your own shopping around before you die, because that way you're going to meet somebody that you have a good connection with. That can be beneficial to you now um, in your later years, whenever it is, um, but it's really going to help those coming afterwards as well, because when we met, uh, I was there with my mom and dad and my sister and we were we were looking at the options of uh, what kind of uh, coffin they would like, and believe it or not, there was a kind of it was almost like we were planning a funeral. You know, they weren't ill; they were in their eighties, but they weren't ill at that point. And it was almost like we were planning a party. It had that kind of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It was weird, but it had that kind of feeling around it. So. And when it actually came to pass that we did have to organize this, we knew exactly what to do because they'd written it down, even to the point of where they wanted to have the after uh, funeral celebration, what menu they wanted for the um, food that was going to be provided, um, who it was that they wanted to have uh, 
conduct the ceremony, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Very helpful. Mm-hmm. How about what uh, what should people do if they want to be? You know, the traditional Christian thing is you go to the funeral home and uh, there's a viewing, and then um, then there's a mass, and you get you get they bring you to the uh, cemetery. Um, in the Jewish religion, uh, things go a lot quicker. They don't keep the body out for a couple of days. Things are, are pretty fast, which I think is a very good idea. And then um, what do you do, though, if you want to just be cremated? You don't want to go, you don't want to have all that pomp and circumstances, if you will. You want to have your friends come over and viewing wherever. Can you just go to a funeral home and just have a, you know, a viewing? And then um, are they the ones that are usually tied into the uh, places for cremation? Or can you just have a viewing at home and then is there a cremation parlor or something that you go to or are they part of the funeral homes organization usually? It'll depend on the local arrangements, but the very first thing that you need to know is that there is nothing uh, legally that you have to do other than take care of a body according to the legal requirements in your area. So that's important. What are they usually, what are those parameters? Well, you know, I know they're all going to be a little different, but... Yeah, for example, over here, you have to, it has to be uh, buried in, uh, you have to get permission if you don't get the uh, body either cremated or buried in a, um, a, a particular nominated burial site. Um, but you could, for example, uh, bury a body in your back garden if you wanted to. You don't mm-hmm. have to do that. I would say that if you're going to sell your house, it's probably not recommended because you have to disclose right. that in the deeds when you come to the sale. Right. But, Somebody might want to put um, a swimming pool there. Well, exactly. A surprise. Uh, <laughs> not ideal. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think what we don't realize is because we don't think about it in advance, we don't realize that we have a lot of choice in the matter. So, for example, if you know, for example, that you want to get cremated, but you don't want to be bothered with the funeral and, and the crematorium service and all that, you don't have to have that. You can have a thing these days that is called direct cremation. Not everybody offers it. So, again, you need to do a bit of research locally. But direct cremation simply means that your body will be taken to uh, be cremated, and then you will receive the ashes according to how they organize it, and that's it. You don't have a service. Now, that's a lot cheaper if that's important to you. Um, you can have your service, or you can have some kind of celebration, or here you could even you know, go down the pub or whatever, or go and have a cup of tea with some friends, or mark the occasion in that way, or maybe you don't want the occasion to be marked at all. All of this is possible, but it's only possible, of course, if you think about it beforehand. Right. Wow, so much. Um I guess well, yes. what, one of the great things about your work is that you kind of uh, took on a new lease on life where life became more precious to you and more beautiful in a lot of ways because um, you uh, embraced the process. This is what's going to happen. And so by even by losing your husband, I, I say this respectfully, you got a new lease on life in terms of cherishing each and every day. So the, the something – and this happens. I, I had my health scare um, for – four and a half years ago when I, four years ago, actually. And it was the first time in my life I had ever had to look into the abyss and not know what was going to happen to me. It was a surprise. I didn't know what was going to happen and I got through it. And then I really took care of myself and I participated in the process of healing. And now looking back, it was the greatest thing ever because it eliminated so much fear because I went through the process and realized the importance of, participation in your own health and uh and then living your best life each and every day because it can end at any time and you can you know not just getting hit by a bus but you can get a surprise diagnosis and then wow you have to deal with it so tell us about the importance of that because to me that was the true gift of what what happened yeah and that's why i was able to call my first book gifted by grief because in the end i felt um Of course, I was devastated by my husband's death, but in the end, having gone through the process of grief and coming to terms with it, I also felt gifted and grateful for his death as well as his life, because both of them together had brought me to a new understanding, and and particularly, I think, an emphasis of what I already had an inkling of, which is that we are much more than just a body. We are much more than Mm -hmm. that. 
uh, and that really helps. If you want to do your end-of-life plan, I would highly recommend cultivating that uh, belief that there is more to us than just a body. Because it's a lot easier to deal with that that there is going to be a body if you think that you are more than it, if you see what I mean. Now, how many um, uh, in-person, um, I know this is a little bit of a weird question, but I try to answer, I try to ask the questions that if I was listening to the show, I would ask, no matter how offbeat they may be. How many people have you seen actually pass in front of you? Oh, only, uh, only my husband. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm an ordinary person. Before, as I said before this, I didn't have anything to do with death and dying that uh, you know that um, that has not been part of my uh my professional background at all i now work with people who for example might be palliative care nurses or something like that and they would have seen a lot more people i've seen more dead bodies but i the only person i was actually with who um while when they died was my husband and that was a strange experience because you, know, you mentioned I want you to get into it a little bit because one of the things yeah, that stuck uh, out for me in the book was that you were speaking to him, you know, to his body, and then you realized he's not there, and then you started speaking yeah. kind of above his body. I did. I had to because when, what I was looking at looked exactly like who he had always been uh, just a moment ago as well, but it looked completely different as well. It was really difficult to explain that at the moment of his passing over, there was a very, very sort of slight, very subtle, sh- sh- almost um, a, a, almost a change in color in his face, um, mm-hmm. but not quite as, not quite that, much more subtle. And yet, I knew immediately that he wasn't there anymore. Now, you know, I'm quite a spiritual person. I had been expecting his spirit, if you like, to hang mm-hmm. around the room and Maybe I would feel it or something, but nothing like that happened. What I saw instead was this, um, what I called later, an empty bag. And, you know, one moment it had been filled with Mm -hmm. whoever it was that he was, and the next minute it was empty. And that's why I couldn't look at it anymore, because it wasn't him. I had such a strong experience of, of who he was, having been nothing to do with that body at all. It was just like that was the... Um, encasement of who he was, yeah. the the packaging that he came in this time round or whatever, um, and that was profound for me because, you know, three weeks later I think I um, had a thought. I woke one morning with the thought, well, if that was an empty bag, then what is this that that I have? This is a filled bag, and what is it filled with? And I thought I knew about all this sort of stuff, but I went off on a journey to try and find out what that was, and uh, came to a place of considerable much. Uh, more peaceful place than I had ever been and understanding that in fact uh, as I would describe it now I and every living thing is peace itself mm-hmm. and love itself and um, this all, we can't really talk about it actually because as soon as right. you start talking about it you, you make a, a separation which is and that's what it's not about because we're talking about unity here really right so you believe in reincarnation then, recycling? I don't know. You know, I really don't know. Okay. I don't know mm-hmm. what happens when you die. I don't mind that so much. Um, I think I'm pretty sure that whatever it happens, it's going to be an adventure. Whether or not I will be aware of that, I don't know. But right now in my life, I choose to believe that um, it will be um, even better than being here, and being here is pretty good at the moment. So. Great. Okay. Well, fantastic. And listen, I have to commend you on, uh, you know, you tackling a subject that nobody wants to deal with yet. It's important that people are made aware of it and all of the contingencies that go along with it. So Jane Duncan Rogers, thank you so much for the work you're doing. The name of the book is before I go, the essential guide to creating a good end of life plan. Where can, uh, our listeners find out more about you and the book and your other works? Um, go to beforeigosolutions.com. On the homepage there, there is a free quiz called How Prepared Are You? It, it'll take you probably less than two minutes to answer just a few questions, and that will give you an idea of how prepared you are in terms of the end-of-life planning that we've been talking about. And, of course, you can get my book on Amazon um, 
or any good bookshop. Fantastic. Well, listen, you've been a great guest, and I really thank you for calling in from Scotland. I love it when we have international guests on the show, and it's been a pleasure uh, meeting you and uh, learning and reading your book. So thanks so much, Jane, for being on Guys Guys Radio. It's a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Fantastic. Okay, folks, I think we covered everything that we can in our allotted time, so we're going to wrap up. Our special guest has been Jane Duncan Rogers. Once again, the book, Before I Go, The Essential Guide to Creating a Good End-of-Life Plan. Make sure you think about this, folks, because we're all going to go, and uh, you don't want to leave a mess behind. And I think Jane's book is, gives a good good uh, step-by-step process into you know how to just formulate a plan. It's not complicated, and you're going to have to deal with it anyhow. So the more work you do up front, the less work you'll have to do uh, in that emotionally trying time when somebody close to you passes. So with that in mind, I want to thank all of our listeners. We'll be back on uh, a couple of days for another podcast of Guys Guys Radio. In the meantime, um, check me out at robertmanny, M-A-N-N-I.com. All of our Guys Guys Radio podcasts can be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Blog Talk Radio. I am discussing an opportunity with a terrestrial radio station with a very big footprint, and I might have some news on that soon. So looks like Guys Guys Radio is going to be growing uh, by a quantum leap, hopefully very soon. So anyhow, thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for being a listener. And remember, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. times by a couple guys that didn't treat me right i ain't gonna lie i ain't gonna lie alexa play meant to be okay if it's meant to be it'll be it'll be baby just let it be if it's meant to be With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need get access to over 50 million songs download the Amazon Music app today Want entertainment designed just for you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.